So page, well, uh, it is actually page one. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter one. Right at the beginning of the Bible. And uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to read the first uh, four verses. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will be referring to the whole chapter uh, during, the, um, uh, during the talk, so do, do keep it open, but we'll read the first uh, four verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So let's now pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank you so much uh, for this opportunity for us to gather here this morning. And Lord, uh, we do pray that as we think about your word now, you will speak to us. Please, Lord, will you help me to be able to, to bring out from your word what is good and right and helpful. And please, will you Help us all to benefit from this time so that we can uh, worship you as we should worship you and so that we can uh, obey you in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we return this morning to our series in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And we've been seeing how this chapter, this opening chapter of the Bible, counters the paganism which has been sweeping into our country. And today I want us to think about something which is very important and which is stressed in this first chapter of Genesis and is also taught in other scriptures which is that the world that God made is good and that we can and should give thanks to God for the natural world and for the things that he's made and that we should not feel guilty about enjoying these things. Now, this teaching in Genesis chapter 1, that this world uh, is made by God and is separate from God and is good and can be enjoyed, is something which uh, differs from Paganism, because paganism teaches that God and the same, God and the, and the, and the natural world are one and the same. Uh, it, it has a view which is called pantheism, which basically says that, that, that the universe and God are united. And now the problem with that view is that if you think that the, that the natural world and God are one and the same thing, well, you don't touch anything in this world because everything is sacred. So you don't touch trees. You don't, you don't even kill a fly because you're, you're hurting God if you kill a fly. You, you don't want to eat animals because, well, they're sacred. And so you're, you, you, you have this, this view, well, I, I can't really do anything with this world. I, I mustn't mustn't touch this world, must harm this world in any way. But what we see from the Bible, what we see from, from this first chapter of Genesis, 
is that this world is distinct from God. God existed, we were seeing a few weeks ago, God is the eternal God who is distinct from this world. He existed long before this world, was he ever, before he brought this world into being. And when this world as we know it comes to an end, God will still be there. He is the eternal God. And God is not damaged or hurt by anything that anybody might do to his world that he's made. Because his world that he's made is separate from him. And he has given this world to people to enjoy. He has given us blessings to enjoy. And we can be grateful for those blessings. We don't think, oh no, I'm going to eat a cream cake. Oh no, I must feel guilty because, because I, I, I've, I've, got, I've got a new pair of shoes to wear or, or because I, I'm, I, I'm driving a few miles down the road in my car. No, we don't need to feel guilty because God has given these gifts to us as blessings to this world. And we can enjoy the gifts of God. So, uh, what, I, what I want to do uh, is in this morning is I want to, first of all, draw out from this passage from Genesis chapter 1, this chapter, uh, how God says repeatedly that the world that He made is good. And then I want to look at a few other scriptures which also teach about the goodness of creation. And then I want to make some applications to us. Well, uh, so first of all then, uh, let us look in this passage here in Genesis, first of all. And, and, and we'll just go through the chapter. I know it will be very familiar, I'm sure, many of us with chapter 1 of Genesis. And we, uh, but I think it, it will do us good just to see the seven times that God says that the world that he's made is good. Just in case you don't get the message. It is a good world. So, um, let's look at the, the first time. Um, uh, we, which, we, which we read earlier. Uh, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Light is good. Without light, we can't see anything. Without light, there would be no life. Uh, light is a wonderful gift from God. Well, then we go on. And uh, we see, we see in verse ten about uh, about um, uh, the, the the earth uh, being good. Verse nine. And God let, let God said, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear." And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So we've got this wonderful thing called the earth. If there was no dry land, there'd be nowhere for us all to live. If there were no sea, there would be nowhere for the fish. But God has made the, the, the earth and the sea. But think also of what's in the earth. The earth is stacked full of wonderful minerals. Iron. Magnesium, all you, you know, from your chemistry, you know all these wonderful minerals that are that are that the earth is 
chock-a-block with these amazing things from which we can make things. And not only are there these raw materials, like the, the raw chemicals, but there are compounds that God has made as well. Water, what a wonderful thing water is. Two hydrogen atoms, one oxygen atom combined together. And this amazing substance, water, it, 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 it's, God has made it in such a way that when it freezes, it's less dense than, 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 than what's below it. So it rises to the surface. So you get a, you get a hard surface of ice and everything else under the frozen ice can, can live. And, and, and water, is, uh, uh, water evaporates and goes up into the, into the air, and then it comes down as rain, and, and water is the, is, permeates through everything, providing life for everything. What a wonderful thing water is. And many other wonderful compounds God has placed uh, on the earth. Uh, and then we go on uh, to see the goodness of the trees and the plants. Verse 13. Uh, sorry, verse 12. We'll read from verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed, which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is, which is their seed, each according to its own, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All these different amazing species of, of different types of tree and different types of plant. And many of these plants, of course, have got beautiful flowers. We've got a few examples left over from the funeral um, on, our, on our windowsills, haven't we? What, what beauty there is in these, in these plants that God has made. And... Uh, God has provided um, different seed-bearing plants, which 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 give us food, wheat, of course, and rice, and and other seed-bearing plants. And and then there are fruit trees and and uh, vegetables, which God has given, and, and in His great bounty and kindness, a great vast array of different types of of, um, of, of plants. Well, then we read also that God made that the, the, the sun and the, and the moon and the stars are good. Um, verse 14 And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So here is this wonderful provision by God the sun to give us light by day, the moon to give light by night, and all the different stars. They say there are thousands of millions of these stars. No one has counted them all. And God has produced this magnificent array. Of course, we can hardly see them here in London because of all the streetlights. You go out to the countryside. And you look up and you see this vast array adorning the night sky. And God says that he did these for man. That man might have light for the, for the day. And, and, and that the, the, the man might be able to mark off the seasons 
by the moon. How good God is. And then we see also uh, the goodness of God in the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. Verse, verses, verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the, the earth across the expanse of the, of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All these thousands of different types of birds. Many with the most beautiful plumage, brightly colored. And these birds are chirping away, singing away. All sorts of different songs. Why, why is that? Why, why has God given cause there to, to be these beautiful birds? Well, to bring glory to himself and, and, to, and, to, and to give happiness to us. And the fish of the sea, um, amazing different types of creatures. And some of these tropical fish are absolutely beautiful. The way in which they have these amazing colors, don't they? And then we see the goodness of the animals. Verse 25. We'll read from verse 24. Then, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So all these amazing different types of animals that there are wild animals, but also animals which would be useful for man to, to cultivate, to grow. Uh, cows which produce lovely, meat, uh, lo lo lovely milk and, and which God knew that we would also in the future uh, need to, to eat. And sheep which, which produce also milk but also very useful wool. Goats. Horses, which so useful, which were so useful for agriculture, and, and oxen as well. How good God has been to man to to give these things uh, to us. And then we have man himself. Verse twenty-six. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all that the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God, at the pinnacle of creation, made man in his image. What an amazing thing the human body is. And they're trying to invent these robots which can do sort of what human beings can do. And they're trying to reproduce the hand. I, you know, whenever I do some woodcutting, 
out in my yard, I'm always just amazed at what amazing things hands are. You know, you can feel a very small thing and, and manage a needle, but you also pick up a very strong load and grab a, a really heavy thing. And, and God enables us to do this because of these beautiful things we, we've been given, which are hands, legs, feet, eyes. What amazing things eyes are. Ears, mouths, just the human body is astonishing. The digestive system, the, the way in which the different organs work together. But then on top of that, there is consciousness. The ability to speak, the ability to plan, the ability to work things out. How good God is to us to give us all these gifts. Now the question might say, well, it says it is good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But what about the fall? Adam and Eve fell into sin and that has brought harm and sorrow to the whole world. It's, it's greatly damaged man's uh, um, Obedience to God, man is not, not loving God in the way that he should be loving God. And there are consequences seen in the natural world. So, can we still say that the, that the world is good? The creation is good? Well, we say yes, fundamentally it is. It's been marred. It's been damaged. It's not, at the moment, what it should be. And we know that from Romans 8, that... that uh, it's been subjected to frustration. But fundamentally, the creation is good. And when Jesus comes again, it will be restored to its previous glory. It's not as if, oh, this is a bad old world that's got to be just done away with altogether. No, it's going to be restored and it's going to be renewed. So we see there the, the goodness of creation taught in, in, um, in Genesis. I'd like to just now turn your attention to a few other passages in the Bible which speak about the goodness of creation uh, and how this should apply to our lives. And I'd like us now to turn over to, to Acts chapter 14. And verse 15. This is on page 1097. Now, the context of this is that Paul uh, and, and Barnabas had, been in a, had done an, an astonishing miracle, a great sign, a great wonder, uh, and uh, a lame man who'd been crippled from birth, they had given the they had commanded to get up and walk. And this man got up and walked. And uh, the people of the, of, of, the, of the town thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods and they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And Paul then said these words to them, verse 15 of Acts 14, page 1097. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. In the past, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by, bringing, by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You see, what he's saying is, God is the good God. 
God is a good God who blesses people. He's given testimony to himself that he is alive and true by the fact that he gives people rain and fruitful seasons and he satisfies people's hearts with food and gladness. God is good. And the creation he's made is good. It's a source of blessing to people. I'd like us also to turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2. And uh, verse 18. Now, uh, the background for this is that people had come into the church in, in Colossae and they were claiming to have a knowledge of God which the Apostle Paul didn't have. They were claiming to be like super spiritual, super godly. And uh, they were saying that that in order to be super spiritual, super godly, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, you mustn't touch this, you mustn't taste that. You've got to deny yourself various pleasures so that you can get onto a sort of a higher plane spiritually. And Paul says, look, effectively he says, look, you've got the real knowledge in Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need to know is in him. And here's the one you need to follow. Not these, not these man-made rules that people, people invent about being spiritual. And I'd like to pick up in verse 18. He says, of Colossians 2, page 1,169 in your Bibles. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Now, that's a big word, asceticism. But what it really means is just what I've been talking about. Denying the things of this world. People are saying, oh no, you mustn't, you mustn't enjoy food. You mustn't enjoy sex, even within marriage. You mustn't heat your house up and make it warm. No, shiver in your house. Deny yourself. Starve yourself. And that's the way to be really holy. That's the way to really know God. When you, when you say no to all of these things. You don't do this, you don't eat that, you don't enjoy this. He says, no, well, no one disqualify you. No one disqualify you for, from... From, from, from the knowledge of God, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going into great detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. You see these people say, oh, I've had a vision. God has told me this. God has told me that through my visions. And, and this is the way you should live because I know it because I've had this vision. He says, don't, don't let anybody trouble you with that. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a warmth that is from God with, sorry, grows with a growth that is from God we've got Christ and from Christ the body of Christ is built up so he says verse 20 if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe. Why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Here are these rules that the world is putting in. They're not from the Bible. They're what the world is saying. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. You see, there are these human ideas that have come in. You mustn't touch this. You mustn't enjoy that. You mustn't eat this. It's got no foundation in the Bible, but it's a human rule that's come in. It says, these, appear, these indeed have the appearance of wisdom 
in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Ah, oh, look, this is the way to be spiritual, people say. The way to be spiritual is you, you don't enjoy this, you don't enjoy that, and then you go onto a higher plane. You're, you're, you're on, a, on a higher level of spirituality from the ordinary riffraff. It looks so virtuous, it looks so noble. You know, you're treating the body with severity. But, he says, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, this is the irony. This is what we see today, isn't it? All sorts of rules that people are coming up with. Mustn't eat this. Mustn't do that. Mustn't do this. And yet, sexual immorality is more wild than ever has ever been. People's actual sex, people's sinfulness is more than ever. And yet, they've got all these rules about not eating this, not eating that, not touching this, not touching that. So because we're in Christ, and because we belong to Christ, we submit to Christ's rules, Christ's law, the scriptures, rather than human rules. Now, of course, I'm not saying we live with no rules. Of course not. But our rules, our laws, are the law of God which are in scripture, not man-made rules. Well, let's look at another scripture. Let's go on to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is page 1,178. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from certain from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. See, here are these, these false teachers. Tim Paul says again, come in. Now notice... He's very, very, very blunt about these teachers. They are, they, they are getting their inspiration from demons, from evil spirits. It sounds so spiritual, you know, don't touch this, don't touch that. It sounds so, so noble and so good, but actually it's coming from demons. Through people whose consciences have been seared. And these people forbid marriage. And they require abstinence from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See, there's this clear allusion here to Genesis 1. Uh, that... that uh, because he says, for everything created by God is good. This world as God made it is good. And he's given us things to enjoy. And uh, being a true Christian is nothing to do with, 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 with uh, denial of the gifts of God. Of course, yes, a Christian might choose for a period of time to fast, of course, as a way of, of showing his seriousness about something he's praying about. And of course, uh, we shouldn't um, be greedy 
And of course, we, we, we should, um, as I've said, live within the law that God has given in the way that we use the gifts he's given to us. But within the parameters of the law that God has given to us, we can and should enjoy the gifts of God. And there's nothing spiritual about about um, about uh, nothing Christ-like about uh, refusing those gifts of God. One last scripture, and then we'll make some applications. Uh, just over the page, actually, this one. Um, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. And uh, verse 17. Page 1180. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, we just Paul does warn us earlier on in the chapter about a love of money, a love of this world. Um, verse 9, go back to that. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a stare and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We shouldn't love money. We shouldn't love this world. We shouldn't be a, you know, craving, oh, I want more and more and more. But if you should happen to be somebody who has been blessed with food and clothing, um, you shouldn't be somebody who says, oh, no, 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 I mustn't, mustn't enjoy that thing, no. You can be grateful to God for the things that he has given to you. God, as it says there, back in verse 17, he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So let me just now, having um, talked then about the, what the Genesis talks about, the goodness of creation and these other New Testament passages, uh, let me get, make some applications for us. Well, here's, a, well, here's one application. Enjoy the natural world that God has made as you're able to. Um, of course, living here in London, we don't see much of nature, do we? Because we've got so much built up it's concrete and tarmac and so on. But even here in London, there are parks. Just 400 yards from here, we've got the, 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 the Limehouse Cut, and from there you can walk up to the River Lee and walk all the way up into Hertfordshire. And you see, you might be, you might, as far as you know, you could know, you might be in the middle of the countryside with these stalks and, and, um, and herons and swans and ducks and fish and the things growing by the, by, by the riverside. Enjoy the world that God has made. Make time sometimes to go out for a walk just in the countryside, or just, if you can, get in a, in a train or a bus or a car, go out to the countryside sometimes and enjoy the world, the natural world that God has given to us. He's given it to us to enjoy. And uh, if you can, get a holiday sometimes and go and see a mountain or something, well, that's a good thing to do. God has given us these things to enjoy. Secondly, uh, Enjoy your food. You don't need to feel guilty about enjoying. I expect many of us will be going home for some Sunday dinner. Well, you don't think, oh, no, I'm going to eat some food. Give thanks to God for that food and enjoy it. And, and, and if it tastes nice, well, thank God for that. It tastes nice. You don't have to sort of make it horrible. Enjoy 
the food that God gives to you. Uh, we should not, of course, overeat um, habitually and make ourselves a beast. That would be wrong. Uh, as much as we're able to, we should be controlled in our intake. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with having a, a nice big meal sometimes. Um, just coming back to Christmas, uh, you don't need to think, oh no, I better not eat too much Christmas dinner because I'll be greedy. No, you can thank God for that nice dinner and enjoy it. Be grateful to God for it. Or if you don't believe in Christmas, that's fine. But birthday dinner, whatever it is, wedding celebration, you can enjoy uh, food. Um, and, and indeed, uh, uh, now that God said to Noah that he could eat of the animals, we, can in, we, we do not, for uh, religious reasons, need to be vegetarian. Some might choose to be vegetarian for whatever reason, and that's up to them. But um, God did say to Noah, after the flood, um, he said, verse 3 of Genesis 9, Every moving thing that lives shall be your food. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. You can, in, you can, you can enjoy your beefsteak or whatever it is you like to enjoy with a glad and full heart, your turkey, whatever it is, and you do not need to feel guilty about that. And thirdly, um, we can and should be grateful for our homes and we should maintain our homes to a reasonable good standard keep them clean and tidy and if we're able to decorate them put some plants outside and you know make them nice this is this is very much a christian view of this world you know the swiss of course are renowned for this and and you know the reformation started in switzerland and 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 this whole idea of, of and the Dutch as well, uh, of, 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 of having clean and orderly and beautiful homes is something which is good. It reflects, it reflects the fact that our God is, 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 is an orderly God who's made a beautiful world. And, and so as we're able, of course not, not all are able to, we might, we might not be able to afford to, but as we're able to, um, it is good for us to make our homes nice. Um, not to idolize them, not to, not to um, uh, be besotted with, 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 with our homes, uh, but at the same time, to God's glory, to uh, do what we can to make our, our homes and environments pleasant and pleasing to the eye. Another, another application is, um, sorry, in a sense to have to talk about this, but, but sex within marriage is a blessing and a good thing. Uh, we should not, uh, those who are, who are married should not feel, oh no, I can't enjoy a sexual relationship with my spouse. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, uh, we read that marriage is something which God gave to Adam and Eve before the fall. Some people think of sex as something which is which which was the force, or they say that that they, but it's sinful. But actually, uh, Genesis two twenty four before Adam fell into sin. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we know from, from 1 Corinthians that that phrase, one flesh, is talking about what happens when a man and woman join together sexually. So Adam joined to his wife, Eve, in the, before the fall, and there was no guilt attached to that at all. It is a blessing that God has given to join a man and his wife together. And it's not just simply, you know, a necessary evil, uh, as the Catholic Church teaches, a, a necessary evil in order to have children. No, it's a blessing in and of itself, to, to whereby a, a man uh, can take delight in his wife and the wife can take delight 
in the husband. Of course, it should only be in the context of marriage, of one man to one, one biological man to one biological woman. Any other uh, sexual activity is sinful. Uh, but we, we should not feel guilty. Those who are married should not feel guilty about this. And those who, who are not married and want to get married should not get, feel guilty about the prospect of getting married. And think, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm going for God's second best. Not at all. It's a perfectly valid thing. And I think we need to say this because what we find culturally is that you, you often get these swings and pendulums. So the, we, we often think about the prudishness of the Victorian era where people never mentioned the word sex and they were, you know, they were very, very ashamed even of sex within, within, within marriage. But where did that come from? Well, in part that was a reaction to the gross licentiousness of the Regency period. And people reacted against the very great immorality from the, from the royalty downwards of the Regency period. And then this, this, this very great prudishness came in. And we may well find the same thing in our own culture. That the gross immorality, we got sex, sex, sex on every front, you know, in all the adverts. People might say, oh, I can't, can't be bothered with the whole thing. And, and they somehow start to think of it as evil. And we as Christians, we need to maintain that right balance of saying, no, it's not evil, it's good, it's a blessing from God in the right context. Now, my last application uh, I will, is somewhat controversial, and um, you may not agree with me on this one. So, but I would suggest to you that as believers, we can receive with gratitude to God the blessings of what people call fossil fuels. We're living in a building that is heated by gas. Personally, I'm very grateful, thankful to God that we've got the warmth of, of sitting here in relative comfort in this room. Thanks be to God. Uh, and we can heat our homes at the moment, as long as we're allowed to, with gas. What a blessing. Um, we can drive around in motor cars that mostly are driven by, fueled by petrol or, or by, um, by diesel. What people sometimes forget is that hydrocarbons are the most amazing, what they call fossil fuels, hydrocarbons, they're just the most amazing and wonderful fuel that God has deposited in vast supplies in this world. Uh, I, I, some Christians would say that they came from the flood. seems to me that the, the amount that's stored up in the earth is vastly more than could possibly have come about through the flood. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but here are these, this amazing material which is you know, the, com the fundamental combination of you've got atom. The atoms are carbon and hydrogen. Well, when they react with oxygen, you get two completely harmless substances, water and carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is a fertilizer. It causes plants to grow. This is why it's called a greenhouse gas, because back in the days, and perhaps they still do, they used to pump greenhouses with carbon dioxide to help the cucumbers to grow super big. God has been so kind to us to, to give... Uh, to give this abundant supply of fossil fuels. And not only, of course, or hydrocarbons, not only do we get, hydro do we get warmth from them, but we also get um, fertilizers, which have massively helped the, the feeding of, of the population of the world. Plastics, which have been tremendously helpful in terms of... of um, all sorts of applications, medicine, you know, medical machinery, cars again, and all sorts of things. Where would we be without plastics? I can remember what it was like with the plastics. I was alive before plastics came into life. Things are very, very awkward and difficult. You're trying to make things out of plywood or whatever it is. God has been so good to us in giving this abundant supply. And personally, I would say to you, I don't think you need to feel guilty about 
getting in an airplane, going to see some family and friends, or getting in a car to go to work. You can give thanks to God for that. And you should not allow yourself to feel guilty. Well, you might want to shoot me down on that one, I don't know. But, uh, um, but I do think that there is a, behind the, not in all, but with some, with some in the green agenda, there's this pantheistic idea which is, which is underneath it. There may be, some Christians would argue from a Christian stewardship point of view that, that God's dominion to man is, is in order to care for the earth, and that, yes, that's, that's true. But uh, I think there's a, you'll find with some, there is a pantheistic edge to it. And uh, we do need to not allow ourselves to feel guilty for, uh, for enjoying the gifts of God. My last application actually is completely uncontroversial. Uh, so you might, want to not, you might want to accept or not accept my, that previous one. But this last one is completely non-controversial for any Christian, which is this. If God has been so generous with us, and it is Christ who is the one who made this world, how can we not worship him? How can we not believe Christ? How can we take his gifts and then walk away from him? How rude that is. If you say, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll eat this, I'll enjoy this, but I won't worship God. I won't honor him. I won't give thanks to him. I'll carry on worshiping my idols. That's downright rude insulting to God and if that's been your attitude until now repent and come to Christ and ask him to save you well may God write his words upon our hearts may all that has been helpful um, build us up and encourage us if there's anything that I've said that is not right well may God forgive but we pray that, that uh, all will be blessed and helped and encouraged. Well, we're going to sing our last.